Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Lunatics Radio Hour podcast. I'm Abby Brinker. I'm here with Alan Kudan. Hello. And today we are talking about the history of reincarnation. You might be surprised to find out this is part of a uh, two-part series, but, you know, you can't just do a one-and-done when talking about reincarnation. It has to come back again. I think it's actually going to come back three times. Whoa. It is? Because we have a stories episode. That's true, the Lunatics Library. Yeah. So the first part is going to really focus on the history of reincarnation, right? Like in religions and different cultures. The second part is all about more modern, really fun and interesting reincarnation stories. Like, you know, like true life happenings that people believe are because of reincarnation. That's the second one? That's the second part. And then oh. the third one is fiction stories about reincarnation, which I'm really excited for. Because we have two stories that are written by... Two really awesome authors, and I'm really pumped to share them. So should we get into the history? Because as you might expect, there is quite a bit of it. I don't know. It seems pretty cut and dry. Oh, yeah? What's your what's your understanding? So somebody dies, right? Mm-hmm. But they had unfinished business, so they come back. You mean like a... Like Casper, yeah. Like a ghost? No, they come back, they just rise again. But Casper's a ghost. Yeah, well, right, because he wasn't fully resurrected. Until the end, sorry, spoilers, when he takes the ghost juice. Yeah. And they resurrect him. I feel like you're talking about the guy from Hocus Pocus, too. No, no, no. Remember, they were going to resurrect Casper with the ghost juice, but then the dad died, and Casper's like, well, we can't leave this family without their dad. So you take the ghost juice and get resurrected. And then she's like, but Casper, what are you going to do? It's like, that's okay. I'm a ghost. I'll just like wait until we find more ghost juice or something. It's been a really long time since I've seen Casper, but I believe you that that's what happens. Which is odd because you're such a horror movie f- fanatic. I like Casper. A, I don't think it's a horror movie. but It has ghosts. Ghosts are scary. But I do like Casper. I just haven't seen it, you know, since I was a child or maybe even high school. That's on you. I guess so. So when we take on these really broad topics that span really vast histories, we are obviously talking about cultures that are not our own. And so we try our best to find resources and information that's from these cultures themselves, right? So I just want to say and acknowledge that, you know, what we're representing here sometimes is, you know, within kind of like our ancestry. And a lot of times it's not, but we're trying to make sure that we find you know, good representation in the sources that we're pulling from. So on that note, today's sources, there's a great series on Hindu lifestyle from YouTube, a book called 30 Most Convincing Cases of Reincarnation by Trutz Hardo, a polymatter video on YouTube, China's plan to reincarnate the Dalai Lama. Today, I found out video on YouTube, how the Dalai Lama is chosen, children's past lives, which is a reincarnation documentary, an article by Dr. Renata Bartoli on druidry.com, and of course, our good friend Wikipedia. Um, and I will, will be citing lots of Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, specifically the early 2000s animated cartoon uh, as opposed to the comic version. Noted and logged. Thank you. Actually, I think it's just in Justice League Unlimited, not original Justice League. So this is another kind of big topic, right, that we should define a little bit at the beginning of the episode, even though we're going to see it's there's different iterations of it. Reincarnation is the belief that the soul of a person can live on and be assigned to a new physical body after death. Hell yeah. 
Reincarnation spans many different religions and cultures, but generally the core of this belief is that the soul is immortal while the physical body is not. Software versus hardware. Transmigration is what we refer to when the soul leaves one body and finds an infant human, or in some cases animal, to inhabit. Infant? Or like about to be born baby, right? Wow. It's been compared to uploading files to the cloud and downloading files to a new device. What I say. The list of religions that believe in some form of reincarnation is quite long, but here are some of the highlights. Here's the highlight reel. Here we go. Hinduism, Buddhism, Sikhism, Paganism, Judaism, belief systems of indigenous people of the Americas, indigenous Australian belief systems, the Celtic Druids, and many pinnacle philosophers, including Plato and Socrates. It's impossible to identify the origin of the belief in reincarnation, and if indeed there's even a single origin. Seems like a chicken or the egg situation. Exactly. Similar to necromancy, it's widely believed to have some early roots in shamanism and is, of course, an enduring principle to this day through Buddhism and Hinduism. It's always shamanism. (laughs) Though we do not have much information on early shamanism, we do have tons of information about ancient Egypt and how reincarnation played a huge role in that society. Which I'm rather upset about. Why? I wish that every culture had a rock-solid written history. Well, yeah, that'd be amazing. It would, wouldn't it? I just feel like there's so many super cool myths, legends, mythologies that we just will ne- we'll never know. Mm-hmm. Never, ever know. We have Greek mythology, right? Yes. Which is so ingrained in our culture and it feels so rich and alive, right? But that's because it was, in it, it's, its heyday was also around the birth of modern writing. Yeah. So, of course, it got written down. And all of the, like, the works of art and the plays and the poems and everything, they survived. Well, a, a small a small portion of them survived. Um, and it still, it feels so rich. You know, Norse mythology, basically t- t- two two sources, you know? You to technically have like a, a third primary source. You have three written works and you get, that's all of Norse mythology. Um, everything, ev- everything else comes from like smatterings. Isn't Greek mythology, though, like famous for being passed down orally until it got to the point where it could be written? I don't know. I was recently going through, uh, I was rereading um, Heroes mm-hmm. by Stephen Fry. This, this is his own retelling of a lot of uh, Greek mythology. It's focusing specifically on like humans and whatnot. And he goes into this in detail, just talking about how we have so many nuanced details you get full lineage and whose parents married who and all these, you know, the, the, the list of all the hounds in a hunt, you know, these yeah. are very asinine details almost. But the only reason we have all of this, which, again, really brings the work to life in the grand context of things, is because it was written down in the first place. And so, yes, you're, you're correct. I'm sure that some of these things originated before writing, but they were also when they were popular was when people were just so excited to write things down in the first place. Also, think of all the things that were lost in fires, you know, things that had like one text that were lost or destroyed for for different reasons. And we'll just never know that those things existed. Someday, I really hope that due to some crazy technological advancement, that's not time travel. We'll be able to reconstruct the Library of Alexandria. Why are you opposed to time travel? I feel like humanity would just completely fuck things up. 
I mean, we already have. Right. But think about the way to hell is paved with good intentions. You know, someone's going to go back. They're going to try to shoot Hitler and they're going to step on a butterfly and (laughs) it's going to destroy the planet. Yeah. You know, so I don't think we can ever handle time travel. If you had if you did, though, if you did have a time machine, what would you go back and do? You could do one thing. Well, well, one thing that would probably benefit a lot of humanity is when Eve is reaching for that apple. You say, don't do it. Oh, you're really going for the. <laughs> and then she's like, oh, OK. And I, you you have to explain yourself like, see the snake? The snake is Satan. And I know you don't know who that is, but don't trust him. I actually took a morbid anatomy online lecture recently. Mm-hmm. That was all about Satanism and feminism. Mm-hmm. One of the same. And it was so many different <laughs> retellings of the Adam and Eve, or really the Eve and Snake story mm-hmm. from the Garden of Eden. I bought the book. The guy who gave the lecture, he wrote a book about it, and I'll link it somewhere <laughs> because it's really fascinating. If you want to learn more about how that narrative and like women being associated with the devil and then them sort of reclaiming that has impacted horror, it's fascinating. If she hadn't eaten the apple, yeah. Well, no one would be around because you know Adam and Eve would still be immortal. Yeah, but they'd be happy. Would they? Yeah, they're fucking blissful. That's a really long time to be together. They had no knowledge of time. They were endless. Sounds kind of like an empty life. I mean, yeah, it it would be a pretty empty existence, but the environment would be so clean. It's like the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. I haven't seen that. You haven't seen that movie? No. You went to film school. They didn't make you watch it in like 10 classes? No. Your weird, nerdy, hipster friends didn't make you watch it? My weird, nerdy, hipster friends? Yeah. You talking about Justin Chan? <laughs> no. All right. So I, I'm sorry. We got us. I got, I got us a little off track here talking about time travel and original sin. That's okay. We're going to kick things off with ancient Egypt, as we love to do. In ancient Egypt, death was taken incredibly seriously and was honestly a major part of life in general. Many of the Egyptian gods play a role in ushering and guiding souls to the afterlife, which we talked about in the Grim Reaper episode. Mm -hmm. I have a question about Egypt. Whenever I picture like ancient Egypt, I picture, you know, the pyramid and the sphinx and... They're like all clumped together and then there's like a little city around it and then it's just endless desert. It's, there's actually quite a few ancient Egyptian cities. So Okay, so they did have like a bunch of cities all yeah. throughout. Okay. Have you ever seen like They're renderings always, of Cleopatra and her domain? I always thought that they were like right, they like lived in the pyramids. Well, the, the pyramids were their death tombs. They, they, had, they didn't live there? No. I know so little about Egypt. It's actually interesting because, like, for example, the Great Pyramid of Giza, I believe, is not so far from Cairo. Okay. So. So Cairo sprung up around the Pyramid of Giza. That makes sense. Yeah. Quite quite the attraction. Yeah. And I assume these are right by the Nile. Yeah. It seems like I'm, I'm looking at a map right now of the ancient cities within Egypt, and they parallel path next to the Nile, which you would expect just as a resource. But the pyramids themselves were created as tombs for kings and queens and what's is a pharaoh just the egyptian word for king yeah a pharaoh is a ruler in ancient egypt gotcha 
So back to the three main principles that define the afterlife beliefs of the early Egyptians, right? Hit me. Number one, the belief of an eternal soul. That makes sense. Two, the existence of an afterlife. Mm -hmm. And three, rebirth. So even just pausing right there, right? Like what comes to mind immediately for me is the mummy in, in all different iterations of it. Sure. And so I think even that key pillar of rebirth and this kind of fascination and not even fascination, but respect and honor for death Mm -hmm. in this culture still endures today to some of our like pop culture, Egyptian, you know, stuff that's of course like watered down and made for Hollywood. But in all of these films, like the mummy comes back, right? Rebirth people come back. Like the spells are, are made for them to come back. Well, sure. I mean, look at their tombs. Yeah. Freaking sky high pyramids. Yeah. Of course, outsiders are going to look at this civilization and be like, wow, these people cared a lot about death. Yeah. Sure. I mean, they made one of the great wonders of the world, right? And then it's a tomb. Mm-hmm. And what a tomb it is. Yeah. So post-death rituals were very important because they prepared the dead for judgment, right? Judgment of the gods. Ultimately, you could be immortal if you passed judgment and were given second life. So it's not quite the same function of how karma, we'll talk about, works in other religions. But it is this idea of you need to be worthy of reincarnation. So was that why everyone got like prepped like crazy for death? Right. And that also has to do with your judgment of the gods. But yes. Death rituals were meant to influence the gods' decisions. If you passed, your soul would return to the womb of the mother goddess. And again, like you were saying earlier in the episode, we know all of this because there's so many different texts from ancient Egypt that have survived, right? So we have the Book of the Dead, the Coffin Texts, and the Pyramid Texts, which are all books or collections of spells that were written on papyrus or on the walls of pyramids. Wait, the Book of the Dead is real? Yeah. You know, really? Yeah. I did not expect that. Yeah, of course it is. It's a real thing that you can just read. I mean, it's in hieroglyphics, but if well, you were a scholar, you has could... it? I mean, I'm sure it's been translated. Yeah. Can sure you just you like, find it? Can you just buy it on Amazon? Maybe. Why don't you look? Hang on. Why don't you get get us a copy from your local bookstore, though? You can get the Book of the Dead, the complete papyrus, uh, for twenty four ninety five on Amazon. It's not a bad deal. I don't think it's the original. No, I don't think so. So all of the spells, right, from the Book of the Dead, the Coffin Text, and the Pyramid Text, these were spells and rituals that were focused on how the afterlife worked and how to ensure that a soul made it there safely. So here's a passage from the Book of the Dead. It's it's a spell, so... So should, is don't there, repeat after me. Is there anything we should do to protect ourselves to not cast it? Well, I'm inside of this circle of salt, so hopefully that helps. I unite your limbs. I hold your discharges together. I surround your flesh. I drive away the fluids of your decay. I sweep away your brow. I wipe away your tears. I heal all of your limbs, each being united with the other. I surround you with the work of the weaving goddess. I complete you and form you as Re. R-E. This is often compared to the Egyptian sun god Ra, R-A, who enters the goddess's womb each and every night. As the sun rises, Ra is reborn. And as long as you pass judgment, you could live on forever. So that's obviously a really boiled <laughs> boiled down 
version of how it worked. But does that sort of make sense? I think that's all of it. First off, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of the god, like their 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 main cheese, right? And every day he's dying and being born again. Yeah, that's that's pretty intense. And yeah, that god represents the sun, right? So every night he's dying, every morning he's being reborn. Okay, so let's shift our focus to India. Should we travel by map? Yeah, let's travel by map. One of the central components of Hinduism is the idea of rebirth and how it works with karma to create a cycle. The focus is on the eternal soul that keeps learning, gathering experiences, and working to be better. The body is almost seen as a disposable vessel, knowing that the eternal soul will occupy many on its journey. Between bodies, the soul travels to ethereal planes where it is either rewarded for its good actions or punished for its sins. If the soul has unfinished business, it is called back to earth. Casper. (laughs) So this religion believes that, right, like getting the short end of the stick, so to speak, in terms of your life circumstances, your privilege, Mm -hmm. is a reflection and explained by actions in a past life. Yeah. So, for example, kids who are born into poverty or good people who get sick. You know, it's sort of like people always say in other religions, you know, how could... God, how could God allow me to get cancer, right? Mm -hmm. Looking through this lens, it would say, okay, I'm a good person in this life and I got sick and that is karma from a past life. I see. Or I'm a good person, but I was born into poverty. That's because I did something shitty in a past life. Conversely, those born into wealth or privilege have leveled up, so to speak, due to positive actions in a past life. Right. They bought their indulgence from the church. Right. So if you, again, are born into a really privileged family, the thing. Then good fucking for you. Yeah. And the thinking is that you deserve that based on a past life. So one example that came up over and over again in this sort of rationale is Mozart. Right. Or any child prodigy that there's no other way Mozart could have been a child prodigy without lifetimes of experience under his belt by the time he was born in Mozart's body, right? That you don't just become a kid who can suddenly play piano that well, Mm -hmm. that he had to have been a piano player or a musician in past lives so that when he woke up suddenly and had this skill, and of course that's, you know, he he wasn't like, he wasn't right out of the womb playing piano. Or was he? But that he was drawing on experiences from his past life to make him so talented at a young age. It is karma that determines reincarnation. Karma is thought of as any action. This could be physical or mental. So any physical action, any thought, every action causes a reaction. Mm -hmm. When someone dies who has unfinished business or unlived dreams, someone who still has things they want to accomplish, they yearn for the earthly plane, and this triggers reincarnation. Just just picturing, you know, that Scrooge-like guy that dies, and then they're, like, trying to drag him to the, the, the next world, and he's like, no get away okay so i want to talk about a few terms here so we have atman which is spelled a-t-m-a-n but pronounced atman in hinduism atman means the life essence of the soul Mm. the soul that is separate from the body right jiva j-i-v-a is the term for the body that is carrying a life force or an atman So not for a body that isn't carrying an Atman. So Jiva is an animated body or a a body that's alive, right? Mm -hmm. A body that's with soul. Got it. 
So an Atman that is currently on the earthly plane has two aspects. There's the gross outer body and the subtle inner body. These two elements are separated at death. The subtle inner body, the consciousness and intellect, is the piece that gets reincarnated into a gross body or physical body. I mean, that's cool. They, they made it very digestible. It's almost, it reminds me of some of the research we did on the zombie episode with all of the, the different specific terms for sure. bodies with souls, without souls, with zombie souls. One of the most well-known instances of reincarnation that continues to modern day is the Dalai Lama. The Dalai Lama is the title given to the Tibetan spiritual leader. And it's important to note that Tibet Buddhism is its own variant within Buddhism. So we're going to talk a little bit about how reincarnation works within Tibetan Buddhism. Okay. A person is reincarnated over and over again, something referred to as the cycle of birth and death, until you reach full enlightenment or Buddhahood. And then you can choose to end the cycle and the suffering that comes with it. You can choose? Yes. So that's important, and we'll get to that in a minute. Okay. It is believed that the human mind is the source of all things. In order to be fully enlightened, you need to have total control over prana or life force, like sort of the energy of your soul. Sure. And you do that by mastering the mind. There are two important courses that people take as they seek enlightenment, the path of means and the path of liberation. There's also a Tibetan book called the Book of the Dead. Okay. This book outlines the process of reincarnation and what happens when you aren't in your physical body. For example, there's a period of time when the soul is between bodies. It does not immediately find its next physical form. During this time, the soul passes through three bardos or stages, right? So between reincarnation, when the soul is separated from the body, it goes through three stages. Mm-hmm. The first stage is when the soul experiences the clear light of reality. The next phase, the soul experiences or sees different forms of Buddha. And then in the final phase, the soul is reborn. The idea of karma that we discussed earlier is also very similar in Tibetan Buddhism. Karma or the actions of your past lives greatly influence your next reincarnation. The We'll get into the Dalai Lama specifically in a second, but I want to answer your question. Which question? About how you can choose. Oh, yeah. So the thing about the Dalai Lama is that he is believed to have reached full enlightenment, right? He's the Dalai Lama. But he chooses to stay on Earth, to be reincarnated, to not end the cycle because he has a duty to fulfill by being the Tibetan spiritual leader. Talk about taking one for the team. But if you were the Dalai Lama and suddenly you decided, okay, it's time for my soul now to to go into eternal peace, that would be a choice for you. But only when you reach that final stage of enlightenment. Do you think the Dalai Lama's been vaccinated? Yes. That's kind of awesome. I hope so. He's pretty cool. He's pretty progressive. We're going to talk about him. All right. So we're going to get into some politics here briefly. Oh, boy. As we've seen in the news, China is trying to unify its regions, which span cultural and religious differences. Millions of Muslims in China have been put in what I'm putting in quotes here, re-education camps, a.k.a. internment camps, in an effort to minimize the risk of secession, which is horrifying, right? So because... I, I actually, I mean, I'm aware of what's going on over there. I mean, as, as best as 
a you know western person just getting secondhand media news about it yeah um but i am unaware of why why it's happening so this kind of deep dive that i was pulled into while researching explained that the chinese government is very focused on unity right on keeping everybody on the same page so that there's nobody who can break away and there's not too force powerful enough to overthrow right and so because china is so big and there's so many people there of course there's so many different regions that have different religions and beliefs right right and you can see on like a map kind of like where some of the (laughs) outliers are to kind of like the status quo okay and one of those huge outliers is muslims in china i see and because the Chinese government is threatened by this like huge population that has potentially the power, right, to cause a disruption. Okay. They're forcing them into these re-education camps, which is insanely horrifying and certainly, I think, is not getting enough media attention. So Tibet and Buddhism pose a unique challenge for the Chinese government because it has an incredibly famous figurehead, the Dalai Lama, so Tibet, right, is is one of those, like, regions that China has claimed. Right. But they cannot wipe away the Buddhism in Tibet because the Dalai Lama is, and Buddhism in Tibet in general is just incredibly famous and known. Mm-hmm. You know, so they can't go in and try to put Buddhists in re-education camps because it would, the Dalai Lama is, like, meeting with the president all the time. Basically because... The Buddhists in Tibet have better PR. They don't get put through a Holocaust. Right. That's pretty fucked up. Yeah. So even still, in the 1950s, the Dalai Lama was granted asylum in India, and he's been currently living there, and there's a community with about 100,000 exiled Tibetans who are living in India, actually, so uh, to the, escape the the kind of oppression of the Chinese government. Gotcha. So that's why the Dalai Lama is based in India. And that's why when you see a lot of the things that are like free Tibet, free Tibet, Mm -hmm. this is what it's talking about. Right. So the Dalai Lama is believed to have reached the goal of breaking the cycle of birth and death. However, he decides to continue being reincarnated in order to help others on Earth. People who have reached this phase of Buddhism, but decide to remain on Earth, are also called Tulkas. And of course, the Dalai Lama is the most famous example in the world. When he passes, he is able to bypass the bardos, the stages, and decide where his soul's reincarnated. That's pretty cool. So because he has that much power. The current Dalai Lama is the 14th in the line, though it's worth pointing out that because monks are celibate, there is no other way to continue the line beyond reincarnation. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Isn't I'm trying to remember the process of finding the next Dalai Lama. Because I know there's like a whole thing about that. Oh, I'm about to tell you. Oh, perfect timing. So after each body of the Dalai Lama passes, a search then happens to find the reincarnated body. And this can sometimes take years. But the method for searching is very interesting. Please, please, please share. The government of Tibet and the High Lamas consult the official seer or oracle of Tibet. They also turn to very holy rituals. For example, they look at the direction of the Dalai Lama's head, like which direction it's facing on his shrine after he's passed, which they've they found sometimes moves. 
So sometimes it's it's facing east and then they look back and it's facing southeast and they're like, oh, this is the way. What? This is the way we have to look. It, like it's a compass. Stone, isn't it? Yeah. Well, the, but his body that's on top. What? Yeah. They just pl- plop his body on top? Well, it's a shrine, like after he's died, where they're, you know, they're mourning him. We think of shrines very differently. What do you, what shrine are you thinking of? I'm picturing like a giant s- stone Buddha. No, that's a statue. Yeah, on top of a shrine. I mean, I think we're splitting hairs, but I'm talking about like a funeral shrine here. So they just plop his body. On like a big platform. Okay. They do rituals as part of their, it's part of this, right? Mm-hmm. And they've said sometimes like his body can can point the direction of where the next Dalai Lama is. So it's, again, it's like a human-sized compass, right? That's the best way to think about it. Okay. Once they locate possible towns or villages that they believe are in the right area, they kind of gather the newborn children in each territory and test them to see if they could be the Dalai Lama. They frisk them? They test. They don't frisk. The current Dalai Lama was tested by being presented a series of items, and he correctly identified the ones that had belonged to him in his previous life. This sounds familiar. And then, of course, like once they say, okay, this is, we found him, the schooling and the retraining begins. Because he's forgotten. He's forgotten some of the basics, right? Which is pretty unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, it'd be, this would be, the search would be so easy. If it's just like, okay, tell you what, anyone who can open up the Dalai Lama's super secret safe by remembering his combination, you know, is obviously the Dalai Lama. Yeah. Or just, no, don't even have to go to the safe. Just if he can remember his, like, login password, instant. I mean, that would be a superpower for all of us if we could all just remember our login passwords. In a 2004 interview with Time, the current Dalai Lama stated, and I'm quoting here. Quick, quick question. How old is the Dalai Lama? The current Dalai Lama? Yes. I don't know, like in his 50s, 60s. Oh, okay. That's not as old as I was expecting. In a 2004 interview with Time, the current Dalai Lama stated, the institution of the Dalai Lama and whether it should continue or not is up to the people of Tibet. If they feel it is not relevant, then it will cease and there will be no 15th Dalai Lama. But if I die today, I think they will want another Dalai Lama. The purpose of reincarnation is to fulfill the previous life's task. My life is outside Tibet. Therefore, my reincarnation will logically be found outside. But then the next question, will the Chinese accept this or not? China will not accept. The Chinese government most probably will appoint another Dalai Lama, like it did with the Panchen Lama. There will be two Dalai Lamas, one the Dalai Lama of the Tibetan heart and one that is officially appointed. Wow. Carl Sagan asked the Dalai Lama if he would still believe in reincarnation if science disproved it, to which the current Dalai Lama replied. If science can disprove reincarnation, Tibetan Buddhism would abandon reincarnation, but it is going to be mighty hard to disprove it. Sure. He's a, I like him. He's, he's pretty... He's pretty fair. I mean, yeah. He's like, listen, here are the facts. I'm a reasonable guy. Yeah. You're a reasonable person. Let's be reasonable together. Sagan also conceded that some of the cases of past life memory, especially in children, should be studied, which is really the bulk of what part two is about. 
there seems to be a shift of thought currently happening with the system of the Dalai Lama. On top of political tension over the position with China, the current Dalai Lama has said that the next person could be a woman or that they could move away from this tradition altogether. Shifting gears and regions. Did you know that the Druids also believed in reincarnation? The Druids? Mm -hmm. No. So we talked a bit about the history of the Druids in the History of the Crystal Ball episode, but a quick refresher. The Druids were high priests of ancient Celtic paganism that were thought of as magical and were incredibly respected, often influencing kings and political decisions of the time. We also learned that Julius Caesar actually interacted and wrote about his encounters with the Druids. Again, talk kind of like circling back to what you said earlier, our whole knowledge of the Druids comes from a few lines in Julius Caesar's notes about when he encountered them before right. he was like destroying them. So let us now hear from Julius Caesar in his own words. Let's let him tell us about the Druids in reincarnation. Let's, you know, like he can do some of the heavy lifting for once because he ruined so many things. Is this an actual recording? Yes, this is, you're about to hear the recording of Julius Caesar himself. The principal point of their doctrine is that the soul does not die and that after death, it passes from one body into another. The main object of all education is, in their opinion, to imbue their scholars with a firm belief in the indiscrutability of the human soul, which according to their belief merely passes at death from one tenement to another. For by such doctrine alone, they say, which robs death of all of its terrors, can the highest form of human courage be developed. So here he is specifically referring to the Druids of Gaul, Britain, and Ireland. I, I now understand why you regularly get mistaken for Julius Caesar when we're out. You think he sounds like me in that recording? Very much so. Yeah, I can see that a little. But it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I had no idea that that was like a Celtic, you know. Yeah. It uh, didn't click with me. Mm -hmm. But that they were totally... They're all about dismantled. it. Dismantled. Yeah, they were all about it. We could have grown up in a culture where we believed in reincarnation. Sure. If Julius Caesar didn't exist. Yep. Did you know, Alan, hmm. that the next section is on Judaism? Nope. Believe it or not, reincarnation was actually a tenet of ancient Jewish belief. Jewish mystics from the ancient world believed in an immortal soul. Mm -hmm. In the modern world, factions like Kabbalah believe in the transmigration of souls. And so this informs the doctrine of Hasidic Judaism and to some extent modern Orthodox Judaism. The Zohar, which was published in the 13th century, spends a large amount of time on reincarnation. And it's also written about in the Torah. The most comprehensive Kabbalistic work on reincarnation, which is called Shar HaGilgiam, was written by Chaim Vital. Chaim. Based on the learnings from his mentor, Isaac Luria, who many believed had the power to see past lives of each person he encountered. Mm. So that was his superpower. He could look at you and say, oh, you were, you know, these 10 different people. It is believed that when non-Jews feel compelled to join Judaism is because they have been Jewish in a former life. This, this makes sense. Despite this, modern Christians passionately deny the possibility of reincarnation and claim that it is in direct conflict with their beliefs. Why? The Bible actually explicitly states in several places that death is forever 
as Jesus Christ died for the sins of humanity. And then that hypocrite comes back three days later. Exactly. Interesting, though, that in 2009, 22% of Christian Americans surveyed said that they believed in reincarnation, which is a very large amount. Wow. There were also a few movements towards reincarnation in the Middle Ages, but these were seen as heresy by the church. Surprise, surprise. Pretty rock and roll, though. I like that that imagery. I mean, yeah, you got all these like poor people dying of the Black Death. Actually, no, that's not Middle Ages. That's Dark Ages. That's right. But they're about to die of the Black Death. So they're like, well, I'd love to know about reincarnation. Yeah, exactly. Shifting gears yet again, as we do. Many North American indigenous people believe in reincarnation. And it's an interesting deviation from what we've seen in some other religions that we've talked about today that I think have a lot of similarities. Some of these tribes believe that you could fully remember a past life, right? Which is not what happens in Tibetan Buddhism because you need to come back and relearn all of the things that you had been learned, you had been taught in the previous life. Right, because they haven't perfected the process. Right, (laughs) right. Christian missionary. Christianary. Christianary. Heck, Heckwelder, I believe is his name. Heckwelder? Heck, Heckwelder. Heckwelder. Yeah. He was one heck of a welder. Heckwelder visited the Lenny Lenop tribe in 1817, and he wrote this. This is quoting. He asserted very strange things of his own supernatural knowledge, which he had obtained not only at the time of his initiation, but at other times, even before he was born. He said he knew that he had lived through two generations, that he had died twice and was born a third time to live out the then present race after which he was to die and never more come to this country again. In this tribe, it is believed that some children are born with the reincarnated soul of a family member. After birth, the elders of the tribe inspect the newborns to see if they show signs of having lived before. These include showing interest in the belongings of a family member or being an especially relaxed baby, and they noted specifically having unclenched fists. In the Mandan tribe, it was believed that the children, it was believed that the child chose its own mother. The Mandan believed in four souls. The primary soul was thought to be a shooting star, and after someone passed away, you could see their shooting star in the sky. Aww. Yeah, I thought that was really lovely. That is lovely. So, let's shift gears... Yet again. Okay. Talk about some somewhat more modern things. Okay. So philosophy, right? I mentioned that at the beginning. Yes. Plato believed that a number of souls is finite because souls cannot be created or destroyed. Right? If you have 10 billion souls total, we're just recycling those souls over and over again. That actually explains a lot. Oh, yeah? So if there's only so many souls to go around Mm -hmm. and we have just watched this planet's population balloon to nearly unsupported levels. (laughs) Yes. That explains why there are just so many soulless bastards walking around. (laughs) Yeah. Very good. Very good. It's worth noting that Benjamin Franklin agreed for the most part with Plato. Okay. And I guess with you. Okay. The three wise men. Me, 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 uh, Plato, and Benny? And Benny, yeah. Wiccans believe in a sense of karmic return. Of course they do. 
this religion is centered around the natural world, and one of the key elements is the will to do no harm. There's something called the rule of three, and I'm quoting here from Wikipedia. The rule of three is a religious tenet held by some Wiccans, neo-pagans, and occultists. It states that whatever energy a person puts out into the world, be it positive or negative, will be returned to that person three times. Some subscribe to a variant of this law in which return is not necessarily threefold. But the idea is if you have an exceptionally bad day and you snap, that that moment of you snapping at someone will be returned to you, but three times worse. Ah, That's bullshit. (laughs) Wiccans believe that death and afterlife are important parts of the cycle of life and meant to transition the soul to the next state. Sure. So there's a lot of similarities there. Which is interesting. I didn't. I didn't realize that. Wiccans. Wiccans, the, the, man. The ultimate cultural appropriators. <laughs> exactly. So, in conclusion, as we see humanity move away from more organized and structured religions, but move more towards New Age thought and a sense of spirituality, we're actually starting to see a rebirth (pun intended) in the belief of reincarnation. I have something to say. Okay. So. During my teenage years, I took a class on Jewish mysticism. Great. And I want to give a quick shout out to Bonnie Kramer, who was my instructor in the class, because she, first off, made everything she taught super accessible. Mm -hmm. But she was the the Neil Gaiman and Stephen Fry. That's that's correct. Jewish mysticism. All all rolled into one. Yeah. Nice. So in she, she, well, I mean. It's, it's it's amazing how all these years later I still remember so much from this class. But the the relevant bit to this conversation was when she started discussing knowledge of past lives. And so she had this woman that, or, uh, either a friend of hers or just a uh, you know a professional uh, that specialized in awakening memories of past lives. And it wasn't so much of like she would tell you about your past life so much as you would go through whatever kind of ritual or whatever happened where they would just come flooding back to you. And I remember how uh, the the instructor would uh, was describing some of her past lives um, and how she had experienced so many different types of death already that she wasn't scared of it anymore because she had experienced multiple violent deaths she had experienced so for instance um she remembers as far back as you know she was in japan being and she was a a a male samurai warrior and got her head cut off wow she remembers being a young girl in poland during world war ii where nazis broke into her house and threw her down the stairs and broke her neck wow uh she also remembers being an just in you know an old woman that was surrounded by her family as she just like peacefully passed away so it took away so much of the negative stigma around death yeah just through knowledge of it's not scary but it's just a part of the cycle Right, because she believed she would just keep coming back. Or just like so much of just the unknown of like, wow, what's it going to be like? It's going to be so horrible. I hope it doesn't hurt, you know, mm-hmm. all this. But if you have actual memories of going through it, you know, n- nothing is as scary the second time around. 
Do you have fear of dying itself or do you have fear of no longer existing? Probably the prior. Interesting. Because I have fear of no longer existing. Like that to me is is so hard to understand. Like I understand it. To say I just won't have thoughts. Like I'll just be gone. That will be it. Everything that I've done it will just be over. Well, someone said something. I'm trying to remember where I heard it. Maybe this is from Bob Dawn. I hope it's from Bob Dawn. <laughs> Me too. But someone said the 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 it was the phrasing that stuck with me. It's like, yeah, it's it's, you know, we're basically just going to return to whatever it was before we were born. Yeah. And then you think about it like that. It's like, do you remember before you were born? No, but I'm going to go to past life regression therapy and find out. Well, well, but hang on, like was that a scary time for you? No. I mean, there was it was nothing. Was it bad? Was it? Who's to say? Would you put any negative emotions associated with the feeling of before you were born? Yeah, I don't like not existing, and I don't want to not exist. I mean, I I also don't want you to not exist. Thank you. But I personally don't have any negative adjectives to associate with the time as before I was born. Yeah, I mean, I I think like. Through, through the lens of me simply experiencing it. Yeah, I get that. And I understand that. <laughs> I understand that. I think, like, I am not so much afraid of dying itself at all, unless I'm somehow killed in a really awful way. Like, of course, that would suck. Or, like, a really sad way. But that, to me, feels so temporary compared to the forever of it just being over. That's it. Your time is done. Lights out. Like, you're not going to, you know, like, the the... And that's, of course, like thinking of things with an atheist or agnostic viewpoint, which I, I'm you know, not totally sorted out on where I stand in all this. And I would love for there to be an afterlife because I don't want life to end. Well, just get just get reincarnated or get uploaded into the, cl- the cloud, the cloud. Yep. Singularity. Yeah. Let's do it. I mean, I will. If that's my only option, I will. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. I've got to live to the year 3000 or else. Okay. Um, So what can we expect in the next episode? So I'm actually not like it's surprising, but I'm really, really looking forward to the next. So this one really kind of sets the groundwork, right? We dabbled very briefly in a lot of different cultures, Mm -hmm. but the next episode to me is really the, is, is a lot of fun. I'll just say that because we're going to deep dive into very specific cases and people Mm -hmm who believed that they were reincarnated and have some kind of, I would say, pretty moving proof in some cases. Uh, And, you know, take it with a grain of salt, but it's one of those things where even if you're like, there's no fucking way in hell that people are reincarnated, it's still fun, I think, to kind of like hear some of of what goes on with this stuff. So it's going to be a lot of exploration of some of like the really fun cases of reincarnation and like more modern, no, not like... Super modern history, but like more modern history. Can, cannot wait. And then, of course, we'll have a really fun stories episode featuring two authors who will be newly featured on the podcast for the first time. Also cannot wait. Well, thank you guys so much for being here. If we miss anything major, please let us know. And we will be back for part two next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you'd like some bonus content, 
consider supporting us on Patreon to access our patron-exclusive podcast, Horror Movie Club. Also head to lunaticsproject.com to check out our spooky merch and apparel. You can find us at Lunatics Project on Twitter and TikTok, and The Lunatics Project on Instagram and YouTube, where you'll find our short horror films, cemetery tours, and so much more. And please rate and review. A little feedback goes a long way to help us grow and get more content out there. Our cover art is by Pilar Kep, and musical bumpers are by Michaela Papa and Jordan Moser.